Welcome to 143 Pixels. I'm Bill, and we're here to talk about games we love. Each episode, I bring a friend, and that friend brings a game. This week, my friend is Brian Ibbett, and the game that he brought is Tempest. I met Brian... Actually, before I get to how I met Brian, I want to talk about the fact that I've been listening to his shows for years. Uh, He is one half of The Morning Stream, which is a morning show. It's a four days a week morning show. Not the kind that you're used to. It's Brian Ibbett and Scott Johnson, and they have different guests on to talk about sometimes fitness or cosplay or politics or uh, just anything that's fun and stupid and worth a laugh. That's what you're going to find on the morning stream. It comes out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I think that they have a Friday show as well. Uh, it basically, it's them making fun of the news, entertainment, politics. They get live calls sometimes. I've been a guest as a live caller at one point. I don't think he knew it was me, though. Um, anyway, uh, I've been listening to that show for a really long time, and one day they were talking about a new show that they were working on. It was called America's Next Top Podcaster, or actually, that's that's the short version of the title. The long version of the title is So You Think You've Got the Talent to Be in America's Next Top Podcasting Idol. I think that's the, the full title. Uh, but America's Next Top Podcaster is uh, a, a basically a reality game show podcast where each week they have to, like the people, the, the contestants have to make a new podcast. And I submitted my application when I heard about it on the morning stream, and I expected to never, ever hear back. Well, then I got an email months later from Brian Ibbett. Like, I was walking along one day, and my phone said, doodly-doo. And I looked at my phone, and it's it, there was an email from Brian Ibbett. And I was kind of stunned, and I said, Brian Ibbett, why... Why would Brian, I had forgotten that I had applied. And so I looked at the email and it said, hey, you're in. You're going to be a contestant on season one of America's Next Top Podcaster. And I was like, is this for real? So I immediately replied. I was like, yes, I want to be in this. Yes, please include me. And then I didn't hear anything from Brian for a while. I started to think maybe he sent me that email by accident, but it turns out that it was all on purpose and uh, he he was just doing too much and uh, he needed to take some time before he got around to replying, but eventually he replied and then we recorded this the first season of America's Next Top Podcaster. So uh, if you haven't checked that show out, it's a show that I'm on. Each week I had to make a brand new podcast with my team And uh, man, I I met some awesome people and I had a lot of fun and quite a few of the people who you've heard on this show, unless this is your first episode, but uh, quite a few people who have been on this show are people that I met through America's Next Top Podcaster. Uh, But that's how I know Brian. Uh, But like I said, he has uh, the morning stream America's Next Top Podcaster and then his big show, the show that that Brian, I think, is most famous for is Coverville. It's a show about music covers. So not the songs that you're used to, but versions of the songs that you're used to. So sometimes he'll be like, all right, this is a Billy Idol 
uh, episode and he'll do a bunch of covers of Billy Idol songs. Or sometimes he might say this is a Billy Joel. I don't know why I'm stuck on the Billies today. Uh, but he'll say this is a Billy Joel episode and it will be covers by Billy Joel. And I'm just pulling those two names out of a hat. There's I don't even know if there's actual an episode of those. But that's the kind of show that Coverville is. It's been going for a long, long time. It's been going for so long that the music category of the podcast awards is called the Coverville uh, podcast award for music. So it's it's pretty crazy. Anyway, Brian's an awesome dude, and I'm very, very happy to know him. And we had a really fun time uh, talking about Tempest. I was worried when he had chosen an arcade game because I was like, how much can we really spend talking about this? But, you know, everybody has stories related to the games that they've played. And Brian had some wonderful stories. We talked about uh, how did we learn about Easter eggs in games back in the day before the Internet? We, he gave us some Tempest Pro tips on how to get an extra 40 lives by manipulating your score. He told a story about how he fell through a ceiling, kind of like in the Breakfast Club, uh, when when you know the the thug falls through the ceiling, and uh, <laughs> I could just imagine Brian falling through the ceiling as a as a young man uh, trying to play Tempest. It's uh, we had a fun conversation, so th- you don't have to worry about spoilers. It's an arcade game, so there's no spoilers to worry about. But big thank you to Brian for joining me on this episode of 143 Pixels. Now, usually what I do is I play a commercial, you know, a commercial where they're trying to get us to buy this game. But I really can't do that for an an arcade game from the 80s. So they're just going to play a few sound effects from Tempest. And then on the other side, we're going to uh, find out more about the actual game itself. Tempest was an arcade shooter, the same kind of arcade shooter that you would associate with Space Invaders or, uh, I guess, Centipede. The difference was that Tempest was supposed to be this 3D space shooter. In fact, it started out as a 3D Space Invaders, but they decided that that didn't work very well. And the programmer, whose name is, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, David Thurer, decided, you know what? this isn't working. Let me do something else based on this dream that I had. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Plus you'll hear David talking about that in a moment. The game was developed and published by Atari and was released in October of 1981. In addition to the arcade version of the game, there were also Amistrad, um, Atari ST, BBC Micro, Electron, Windows, Xbox 360, and ZX Spectrum uh, versions of the game. David worked on other games like World Series Baseball, Pit Fighter, Tubin, Atari Football, as well as others. Uh, he also worked on Missile Command for Atari. It was going to be ported to both the Atari 2600 and the 5200 systems. However, both of these versions of the game were eventually canceled. 
even after the there was an Atari 5200 catalog that had a release date set for 1983. There are even prototypes of the 5200 version of the game that have surfaced and leaked onto the internet, but they're all very, very unfinished. Obviously, there's no back of the box for an arcade game, so I went and I found the back of a box for the Atari ST version of the game. It reads, Into the Maelstrom. Sometime into a doubtful future, man has looked far through the depths of space to discover a strange series of constructions linking our space to that of another dimension. These alien artifacts are tunnel-like tubes through which hostile forces of another galaxy threaten to pour, destroying all before them. The combined resources of seven planets have built a single craft capable of carrying one man on a desperate mission to stop the building of alien tubes, sealing the aliens in their own universe forever. The mission is to fly the craft round the rim of the tubes, clearing each wave of aggressors until the pilot can blast the ship down the tube into the next section. Only when all 16 tubes have been cleared and destroyed will the universe be safe for a while. Like I said before, the game was initially meant to be a 3D remake of Space Invaders, but they were having problems with it. They decided that it wasn't very fun. And then David said that the design that they ended up going with came from a nightmare where monsters were crawling out of a hole in the ground and he had to knock them back into the ground and keep them from coming out. He ended up prototyping the game and it was originally called Aliens, and then Vortex, and then finally they came up with the name Tempest for it. Usually, at this point in the podcast, I play the intro to the game. However, as an old arcade game, I can't really play an intro. What I can do, however, is I can play a small snippet of an interview with David Thurer. It was included in the Arcade's Greatest Hits, the Atari Collection 1 in 1996. It started out as uh, first-person Space Invaders. I thought, well, Space Invaders was one of my favorite games. And I thought, well, if I do first-person Space Invaders, that'll be a blast. So I, I whipped it together and had a marketing review on it. And we all played it. And it was, it was okay, but it wasn't a lot of fun. And so right, right there at that meeting, we said, well, should we kill it? And I says, well, I've got this other idea that's, that's sort of related. I said, I got this nightmare about this hole in the ground, and there's these monsters from the center of the earth that are trying to get out of the hole, and you have to smash them before they get out of the hole and kill you. And I said, sounds, sounds good. Yeah, let's try it out. So I basically just took first-person space invaders and wrapped the surface into a circle, into a tunnel, and had the monsters coming down the tunnel. It's pretty much the same. For the the most part, I do freelance as well, which obviously also is is confined to my house, but there have been a couple clients that that are on hold right now because... uh, their business requires a lot of foot traffic. One of them, car dealership, and and obviously they can't get out and sell, so they're holding on their advertising for right now. Oh, so, okay. So it did. It does affect me in a secondary way, but not in my primary job kind of way. Yeah, but you know, every time I listen to the morning stream, you're always talking about, oh, you know, we went to go do this, and we went to go like you and and your wife and your friends. You guys are very like you go out a lot. We we we're pretty social. Yeah, I mean the weekends and stuff. We we try and see a movie um, every weekend now that we have that uh, AMC pass. Uh, 
go out with the next door neighbors out to a restaurant, try something new every week. So yeah, it, it's true. We actually do get out a lot more than it sounds like from <laughs> from the way I describe my uh, the podcasting side of things. But yeah, it is a it is a pretty crazy uh, different feel right now for sure. It absolutely is. One of one of the places yeah. that we're not going to be going anytime soon is arcades. And, you know, it's really odd that, well, not odd. Uh, you know, I, I, I had, Scott was scheduled to, uh, to be on the show as well. Uh, and that fell through at the last minute or something. But uh, he had also picked an arcade game. So that was really odd that you oh, were no. like, oh, Tempest, I got to go Tempest. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, I bet I know which one he picked too. What, we, okay, go ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to let you guess. My guess is Joust. No, it was not Joust. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Because that's, like, that's the game he always talks about being uh, his favorite arcade game. I hope that I remember to go back and put in like a eh, eh, sound in, in the in post for this. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Uh, no, wow. he picked Crazy Climbers, which I had oh, never sure. heard of. And I have an arcade cabinet here in my office, and uh, it's got a Raspberry Pi on it. And I loaded that game up. And man, that game is terrible. <laughs> It really is. It's nuts, man. It's uh, somebody came up with the idea of saying, "How about a video game based on somebody climbing the side of a building?" Yeah, <laughs> and, and, but the controls were really weird. Like, you, yes. I, I couldn't quite figure it out. But maybe no, it, and they're just as bad in the arcade version as they are in the home version. Like, oh, I'm okay. trying to do it with the Raspberry Pi, having the two joysticks go back and forth. Um, I'm gesturing here. You can't see it on camera, but I'm gesturing what those two <laughs> joysticks going back and forth are like. And it's it was just as hard to do in the arcade as it is on on mobile. It's horrible or well, portable. You took or you picked Tempest uh, of all the games right. that you could pick. I mean, because we have uh, you know forty plus years of of video games to to choose from, and you chose right. Tempest. It's one of the greats. Why'd you pick it? It is. It is, uh, it's, it's my absolute favorite uh, video game ever created. Uh, and that's not even that there's no hyperbole. There's no exaggeration. Um, there is, there is seemingly so little to the game, but there's so much for me that I love about it. Um, it was one of the first arcade games I remember playing. I mean, there were things like Space War, Space Invaders, Asteroids, things like that. But um but when Tempest showed up for me, and it was early 80s, 81 is when the game got introduced. And it was very shortly after that that I played the thing the first time at the uh, Casa Bonita Arcade on Colfax. I remember. I remember that day, my friends. <laughs> um, I was I was hooked. And uh, there's something very beautiful about the all-vector appearance of it as opposed to the raster of things like space invaders and defender and robotron and things like that um it's got very sharp clean edges to the lines i mean as a, as somebody who later on would would grow up and love to work in illustrator over photoshop <laughs> vector totally appealed to me and um and if you and if you got really good at it or even marginally good at it there were ways at certain arcades that you could play for an entire afternoon or even an entire day on two or three quarters if you were if you were clever about it oh that's awesome um, yeah there's a um early early versions of the rom and and uh that would be one of the first things that my uncle and i my uncle was was a big fan of the game as well uh early versions of the game had this this dip switch on the rom that would turn on um uh, this mode this super hidden mode where if you got to the um the red 
V. Was it the red? No, I'm sorry. It was the. Um, it's been a while since I've done this because my I have my own Tempest machine that's on free play, so I don't have to do this. But you get to a certain level. I think it's actually you know it's the regular V, um, and then you die and you start from that level on your next game and end your score with zero zero or thirty, then um, then it would automatically refill the game with forty credits. Oh my gosh, and that's huge! You could just you could just keep doing this over and over and over. And I remember. Um, I'd go with my uncle to uh, to Boulder, uh, Colorado, all the time. He was going to school up there during the summer. He was still doing a couple classes, and I'd go with him to the old Chicago arcade. It was back when old Chicago Pizza had a had a built-in arcade in Boulder, and they had one of these Tempest machines that had the um, the messed up uh, ROM or had the old ROM. And he dropped me off there in the morning with a buck. <laughs> I'd I'd play, I'd get the 40 credits. And then when I got down low to like three or four credits left, I'd get him again. And I could seriously play that game for the entire day while he was uh, going to his classes, four or five hours. He'd be going to his classes and I would just sit there on $1 at an arcade and be totally occupied. Were, the, were there a the bunch point- of kids around you behind like, oh my God, it's it's that guy who can always always like he plays tempest forever there the there weren't i didn't get the onlookers unfortunately um occasionally you'd get somebody who'd watch because you're up in the higher levels the uh basically the 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 strategy of the game and it's for people who who aren't familiar with it you've basically got a long tunnel and you've got 16 levels of this long tunnel starts out as a as a cylinder with a circle uh, on top and, and a square and you're looking down this tunnel while aliens come around the inside edge of that tunnel towards you and you spin around the rim of that tunnel shooting things down the down the pipe once you get to the last of the 16 levels which is a figure eight uh, mobius strip kind of looking thing it resets the game with new colors for the levels and a and a harder difficulty so you go from uh the blue traditional blue that you see to red then to yellow and that gets really tough and then if you make it through all the level the yellow levels you get light blue if i remember correctly and then after light blue you get black where the the grid is completely invisible and you just see the things coming towards you oh man I think green might be uh, might be uh, after that as well, but uh, I've only made it to the light blues. I've never made it to the black levels, although I've seen players make it. But the it wasn't so much the kid onlookers as it was the arcade managers who would go by and wonder, you know, why I'm playing on this thing all day, and yet they're not seeing a whole lot of money at the end of the day when they go and collect the the coins out of the days. I got to be pretty good friends with the. Um, the arcade manager at uh, at Old Chicago, though, during this this summer that I was playing like like crazy all the time, and uh, because I was small, there was one point where he locked himself out of his office and asked me, you know, he hoisted me up to the drop panels, the drop ceiling, <laughs> oh my God. and had me crawl across the ceiling into his office to unlock the door. That would never and, uh, happen today. Never. Oh my God. The legal, cause I fell through, I did fall through the, one of the, uh, uh, those, you know, uh, um, not drywall, but whatever that ceiling material yeah. is made of, I dropped down and, and broke and landed in his office and then opened the door. He felt so bad that I never had to pay for Tempest. Even, even like the dollar I didn't have to bring anymore. Cause like I could play <laughs> or I could save that dollar for dig dug or, or, um, or star castle or something like that. And, uh, uh, he would just automatically go in and rack up a few games on the machine for me, and and then I'd 
continue playing on for the rest of the day and he was none the wiser about the the 40 credits thing or maybe he knew and he didn't care who knows yeah i, I is that like your strongest memory of tempest is the advent misadventures <laughs> of young brian falling through the ceiling it absolutely is yeah because it was uh um it was uh you know it was such a memorable memorable thing connected to that game and it wasn't even playing the game it was crawling through the ceiling at the arcade at old chicago <laughs> that uh that caused that i should have wrangled it in getting free pizza because that was probably more of the thing was you know having to spend money to get drink and a slice right you, you were afternoons. so good at you were so good at the game uh he right it, like you kind of got you got the bad end of the deal here <laughs> i did get the bad end of the deal yeah but you know what you were yeah. a kid so you didn't really think everything through and i i think that that no. you know whatever free games you can't really complain about that at the time, it seemed like the better deal, for sure. Looking yeah. back on it now, I probably should have gone for the food, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have uh, an arcade cabinet in my office for Asteroids Deluxe, and it's mm. it's funny, the original Asteroids, when that came out, I guess that there was a problem where it was too easy, uh, and people oh, could really? play for a really, really long time, and that's the reason why they made Asteroids Deluxe was... Because they were like, oh, man, we're losing a bunch of money. So I guess they did a retrofit of the Asteroids cabinets, if I am understanding oh, really? it correctly. Yeah, they did a retrofit of the Asteroid cabinet because it wasn't earning enough money. So they had to intentionally go in there and do things to make it harder for people. Uh, but I had no idea about Tempest. That's awesome. And they totally did make it more difficult. I remember Asteroids Deluxe adding those um, those cubes that would spin around. Oh, no, no. It was a cube that you'd shoot, and it would turn into a bunch of little drones that would immediately start going right towards your ship. <laughs> uh, I, I have actually never played about. Asteroids Deluxe, because when I got the cabinet, uh, the, oh. the circuit board was fried, so I ended up... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but it, so it, it's it, just a cabinet. <laughs> it's just a cabinet, and I ended up taking all the parts out to make my, my, my arcade machine. Uh, instead because it was a fried circuit board and nothing worked anyway gotcha okay so were you already going to the casa bonita on holfax before tempest was there or like were, did you walk into your that regular was... arcade one day and suddenly there was this new thing that was calling to you it was um we had uh, at the time man uh the heady days thinking back my uncle was just as much into video games as i was and so we and, and this was the this was the age early 80s was the age of like arcades popping up in every shopping mall bowling alley you know everywhere standalone um standalone place and so we would go check out different arcades all the time and it always felt like we were always looking out for um something new that we hadn't played before or one of our favorites like asteroids or and i didn't know anything about it being too easy i still felt like i was getting slaughtered every time <laughs> i played asteroids but uh and later on things like joust and dig dug dig dug was another one that we were really into for a while so the casa bonita arcade was it's it's a join to the the mexican restaurant that's been immortalized by that episode of south park where cartman doesn't get invited to a birthday party at casa bonita which is as weird as they describe it in South Park, it is 100% factually like that. They've got cliff divers inside. They've got um, a mariachi band that wanders around. They've got a cave built into it. And it's a Mexican restaurant in a strip mall, but it's got cliff divers that dive from into a you know 40-foot uh, drop into a pool. Um, That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. It really is. <laughs> and, uh, and the food is horrendous. You go there for the atmosphere. 
Uh, it's all it's all you're really supposed to go there for. But anyway, there's an arcade next door, and this was one of our regular regular places we'd go. And so it was one day that uh, I think I think my uncle George had seen it first and said next time we go there brian you've got to check out this game it's called tempest and it's just so cool and uh so sure enough i went with him and <laughs> tried it out and loved it so Fell in love with it he turned you on to tempest were there any games and we're focusing on tempest but were there any games that you had found that you were like oh man uncle george you gotta try this out yes there was one called the pit and this is one again it's almost like you've got to find a youtube video of gameplay of the pit or or see if it's on your raspberry pi um uh the pi cade it's it's a um uh, a cutaway shot kind of like dig dug where you're digging down through the ground and you're looking at it like you're in an ant farm kind of thing mm -hmm. and you're you're dropping down through um sort of a typical style dig dug level going down collecting diamonds and things that are buried among the among the dirt then you drop into a a hole at the very bottom that you've got to run across you've got to navigate your way through the dirt down to this door that takes you into this hole that you've got to run across where spikes are dropping down from the ceiling for you to get get past um, all the time picking up as many diamonds as you can and then it's almost like if i remember remember correctly it's almost like a platformer on the other side where you've got to kind of Mario your way up <laughs> ladders and, <laughs> and, uh, and elevators and things like that to get back up to the top where you, um, where you came in. And it felt like they, they saw a bunch of different games that were all doing well and said, we could probably put all those into one game. <laughs> right we instead of his kitchen sink design every bit of, right exactly first they're going to shoot asteroids then there's going to be some space invaders that come down from the top and then yeah so that was another one that i that i kind of introduced to him that one and uh um yeah, crazy climber at the time was one we played in the arcades i don't know why because it was a quarter eater dragon's lair was another quarter eater oh my god dragon's um, lair was amazing though it really was yeah um what else? It was. It felt like it felt like at the time there were maybe six games that if we went to an arcade and they had those, we played. We made sure to play each of them at least once before we left or tried anything new. It was like, oh, we've got to play, got to play Joust, got to play Tempest, got to play Dig Dug. Um, those were probably the big three for us: is Joust, uh, Dig Dug, and Tempest. Those are those are some really good choices. Especially, They're solid. Yeah. For Tempest, I it never it, it never clicked with me. Uh, mostly, you know, I had the dial control and I was like, I, I was just never good at that game. So, but, but when you say dig dug or joust, like those games, oh my God, I, I yeah. adored dig dug and joust. Those games were fantastic. Uh, so you said you have your own tempest machine at your house. How often do you, uh, okay. sit down and play it? These days, I'm afraid not as much as, as when I first got it. It, um, I probably turn it on maybe once every couple months. Um, and it's, if I've got somebody over who, who uh, wants to play as well, or even when my uncle comes over, we'll play it. Um, I've got a little uh, smaller version that was made by the New Wave Toys guys a couple of years ago that uses the same ROM, but it's in like a a foot tall package. Is the controls it, like, I mean, is it hard to use the controls if it's as it being that small? You'd think so. And they were brilliant about this. They gave you a size accurate dial so that... Um, you could make it look like a, just a straight miniaturized version of the original Tempest. And then they also gave you a little modifier you could put on top of that dial that is better for 
human sized fingers mm. so that you can actually still play it. It's still, it's, you know, it's about the size of a Nintendo switch thumb pad, the, the, um, the analog stick, which is good. It's a good size that you definitely wouldn't want any smaller than that. And it, and it still lets you take that thing off so that you can make it look like <laughs> it's the miniaturized, <laughs> the miniaturized way. But I can't imagine, I mean, there've been so many ports of this on the the PlayStation and the dreamcast and, and, um, even on the iPad, there was a version that they tried to release where you slid your finger back and forth. There is no, no other control than the, than the dial. You've got to have the spinning knob and it's got to have some good weight to it so that if you spin it and take your hand off of it, it needs to keep spinning for a few seconds before it finally slows down. Yes, absolutely. Um, there, like that is the thing about those spinning dial games is the way that that feels as you turn it. There's. I can't imagine how many iterations that they had to go through before they were like, ah, we nailed it. And I don't think that they ever improved upon it once they hit that because it felt perfect as you twisted it back and forth. It did. Yeah, you want some weight so that even if you kind of spin it fast to the left, you want it to kind of pull your fingers a little bit to the left when you try and stop it, you know, Mm because it's almost like a like a, a... a cartoon character running across the road and then stopping and it's kind of like for a while for a few (laughs) feet before it stops that's the kind of feeling you need for it you don't want it to stop immediately you want to still have a little bit of travel after it um after it goes past were there Uh, that's and that's why the home game is so important to me having a full-size one was so important because i needed the weight of that dial is it uh is the 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 full-size metal or dial uh metal one it's it's metal with a plastic outer edge to it. I'm going to say that this is definitely an aftermarket dial, but whoever whoever refurbished this machine did a great job of of matching the weight of the um, of the original. I'd say it's probably maybe radius wise maybe uh, a quarter of an inch. Uh, I'm sorry, diameter probably a quarter of an inch narrower than the original stock dial. And I imagine there's probably on eBay I could probably find a. Uh, a regular dial, but they took such good care of this thing. The um, and I got it for what I feel like was a steal. I think I paid eleven, uh, twelve hundred dollars for this thing on Craigslist. Um, snatched it up, drove down to Colorado Springs, an hour and a half away. The day they put it up on there, I like called the guy and said, "I'm buying this thing. Does it work? Is it? <laughs> what's the condition like? He, you know, the photos look great." He says, "Oh yeah, it totally works." And just you know, my wife says I got to get rid of it. And I, I jumped on it because I didn't want him to look up and figure out how much this thing really was worth and the condition that it was in. Because it probably he probably sold it for a tenth of what he probably could have gotten for it. He probably could have sold it for eight or nine thousand at least in the condition that it is. When was this? This would have been nineteen ninety. And I'm sorry, this would have been uh, two thousand three. It was about a year after we moved into this house, and. Okay. Uh, we had just finished the basement, and so this was the first edition of the basement. And as you know, with arcade cabinets and those those press board uh, sides to it and, and mm-hmm. boxes, they are not light. And so it no. took three or four of us to get it down the narrow stairs down the basement where I think we can't move because there'd be no way of getting this back out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we're basically, we're confined to this house forever. There you go. Um I, I ran into a similar issue when I got when I got my because you're you're never gonna believe this. I got my Asteroids Deluxe cabinet for sixty dollars. 
Oh, wow. I know. It, it was insane. Wow. My wife, uh, her cousin just had a warehouse uh, filled with old slot machines and arcade cabinets and cigarette machines and things like that. And uh, she, she found out about that. And she said, well, do you have anything that you're willing to get rid of? And he said, oh, you can have this... Um, you can have this asteroids deluxe cabinet. And I, and, and I was like, I can have it. You're just wow. going to give it to me. And he says, yeah, just let me uh, get some of the stuff off of it first. And I was like, well, however much you would get for the stuff that you're taking off of it, I will pay you. And then mm -hmm. uh, that way I have it in case I need it. So I ended up buying that for 60 bucks. Uh, you know, they delivered it, which was amazing. And oh, then wow. it, it okay. sat in the garage for like three months because we had we were doing construction on my office up here, uh, building like my our contractor was building a bedroom up here and uh, my office. And then finally, when it was done, uh, we ha like he helped me bring it up the stairs and it was just the two of us and his hand cart. And it was insane. Uh, and like, it was a very narrow cause it used to be an attic. It was a very narrow yeah. staircase and we brought it up there. And then it was just such absolute luck and happenstance. It's an attic. So the roof or the ceiling is at a slant mm, and already you, the slope. Right. Right. And if you look at an arcade cabinet for asteroids, deluxe, the slope mm -hmm. of my ceiling matches that cabinet <laughs> exactly it, it, really it's the same angle that's fantastic it's the same angle and it was completely by accident so it was it was supposed to be here uh but i absolutely love having this arcade here but the thing that i don't have and the reason i'll never get to pl really play tempest is because i didn't put a wheel in or the the dial i mean and that always oh, okay. kind of i didn't have room on the board because i had to build my own my own control board and I just didn't have room for a dial and I wish that I did yeah. because I'm not able to play games like that or, or certain Tron games and, and I just right, had or the uh, breakout style games Arkanoid oh, yes like that. yeah yeah it's 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 uh it's key to that I mean you can get away with um with playing it's not good but you can get away with playing centipede with a joystick or missile command with a joystick it still doesn't compare to the trackball but it's not as as big a uh a divide as the the knob for tempest and arkanoid and and things like that you've got to have those did you put in a trackball for uh for one of your controls no i i had so uh, an asteroids deluxe cabinet has mm -hmm. buttons no joysticks so I had to oh, take. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. there was no. There was right, left and right were the <laughs> were buttons. That's right. I forgot about. That. <laughs> yeah. So I had to take the whole command console out and then build one out of wood and order the mm -hmm. the parts for like the joysticks and stuff online. And there's it, it's it's a narrow cabinet. There's not really a lot of room in there for two players. But I wanted to have two mm -hmm. players so we could play like Mortal Kombat or something. Sure. And I just didn't have room for a trackball or the dial and. That's less than optimal, but you know, I I have an arcade at my house, so I can't really complain. <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. Was the uh, was the monitor still usable? Like, were you able to work with the CRT that was built into the cabinet, or had that been replaced? Uh, the CRT, no, nothing in the cabinet worked at all. Okay. So everything got gutted, and uh, most of that stuff is in my basement, just kind of sitting off to the side, except for 
the the circuit board, which has like you can see the burnout mark on it. Uh, I mm. gave it to my dad and my dad made me like a frame and it's framed and hanging on the wall in my office. Yeah, that would be really cool. That's a really cool art piece. Yeah, I, I love it. And oh, and inside the cabinet, there was an old um, there was the a paper, like a poster that was for uh -huh. the arcade owners to oh, be yeah. like, this is right. how you do the dip switches for stuff, which was really cool. And I've got that framed on the wall as well. That's cool. Yeah, the Tempest one came with that as well. Like the, all the marketing materials, and then a and then a printed stapled um, guide, like you're describing, to the dip switches that uh, um, that tell you, you know, which here's how you turn off the the forty <laughs> the forty token. Uh, here's uh, how you get Brian Ibbett out of your house. <laughs> exactly right, or out of your arcade. There was oh yeah, Celebrity Sports Center. There was a place on Colorado Boulevard. Um, called celebrity sports center this place was great it was a giant swimming pool three bowling or two bowling alleys on on two different levels and three arcades in the whole place it was an absolute like this was your weekend getaway place right and they had a tempest machine in the upstairs arcade and then in the in the swimming pool area arcade and uh of course, you know, my uncle and I ended up there. We got on the Tempest machine. We went and did the thing, rolled up the 40 credits. And it was almost like a little alarm went off in the arcade manager's uh, brain when this <laughs> happened. As he walked by, he flicked the switch on the back to turn it off and said, sorry, machine's broken, and then walked away. <laughs> wow. Holy cow. Yeah. That's just, mean. Just decided, just decided that like he was not even going to take it, not even going to like. Well, sorry guys, you, I really can't have you doing that. Here's a quarter. You know, here's fifty cents so that you guys can go play something else. It was, it was like we were, we were there to 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 steal money from him. He he treated us like. Wow. How <laughs> how hard was it to manipulate the score so that you ended on the right number? At, like because. I, the thing that occurs to me is Super Mario Brothers, the original one, when you're running and you want to hit the flag with a nine after the yeah, at the end of the thing, so <laughs> right. you get the fireworks. How hard was it right. to manipulate your score in Tempest in order to get that forty credits? A lot easier because each shot you take on one of the spikes that comes up from the bottom. So you'd let the way we would do this is we'd level, uh, we'd hang out in one place so that all the spikes would get built up everywhere around us. And then we'd get to, uh, you know, past the level we needed to get to or past the, the, the base score we needed to get to. Basically, you needed to get uh, over 10,000 or something on that on that uh, um, on that second level you got to build up all the spikes. And then we just tap, 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 tap to get the uh, one shot to knock the spikes down one notch at a time to get one point until you got it right to the to the number you needed. That's awesome. And did you yeah. teach your uncle that trick or did he teach you? Uh, I think I taught him and I learned it, you know, back before, back before the internet kids, you have <laughs> to find this out. Um, it was some magazine, which felt like a really crummy undergroundy kind of magazine that uh, described the way that you do this. And um, man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of what magazine could get away with publishing this this Easter egg, I guess, you know, it's an Easter egg. It's part of the game. It's, it's not like you're, uh, not like you're ruining the game, right? Not like you're destroying it for another player. Uh, but it was one of these arcade, like arcade monthly, um, magazines that had this, this tip and trick in the back to explain how to do it. And once I found it out, I think I may have even not told him about it. 
And I said, Hey, watch this. And I'm like, do this. And he's like, are you playing like that? And why are you dying? And and then uh, next thing you know, we've got 40 credits rolled up on there. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how we were still able to find things out back in the yeah. day before the, before the internet, like right. there was still some kind of weird wildfire of a rumor about a video game or a movie or something like that, like <laughs> Revenge of the Jedi. When I, yeah. my friends and I had heard of Revenge of the Jedi, I have no yes. idea how we found out about this thing, but it was a thing that we had found out about and we were obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. How It's it's weird to think, how did we find out about all those things beforehand? Like how, how did we learn about the, the Easter egg hidden in the uh, 2600 adventure game where you get the pixel out of the, out of the catacombs and bring it back to where the sword is so that you've got too many sprites on screen and it causes the wall to be uh, out of phase so you can walk through it and see the, <laughs> see the information on the right without the internet. I mean, this had to come from these underground magazines, these, uh, uh, these little tips and tricks, things that we would get our, get our hands on. It's crazy to think about that now. It, it makes more sense for someone like you who, you know, you live in near a big city, but I live in the sticks and I grew up in the sticks. So it's bizarre that that information ever trickled out far enough to get to us, us people in the woods. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> right. How would it, how would it wind its way out into the, the boondies? Yeah. yeah somebody tied wow. it to a cow and slapped him, and <laughs> some farmer was like, what is this? Uh, right. So, you know, often I ask, do you think it's a game that would do well today? And it, it you know, it's the kind of game that only exists in arcades. But I guess my my a question that I think would be analogous to that normal question that I ask is, what would you think if they remade uh, um, uh, Tempest in VR? That would be incredible. I because it's already got a three D effect to it anyway. When you're zooming through these levels. Um, the 3d effect is is brilliant as it is and I'm trying to think how the control scheme so let me so all right let's say you've got the the visuals and your oculus quest or your rift or whatever and you're looking down the tunnel and you know you've got the the little thumb button that goes left you know that goes around on the uh um on the oculus oh, man i feel like i'd still need a handheld um a handheld knob kind of like the um do you remember the old 2600? Uh, I want to say it came with the game Warlords, or, um, or or tennis, where you had the knob. It was it was a you'd play it two handed. One hand would hold the controller, and there was a thumb button, a red thumb on button. the side, a red thumb button, and yeah. then the knob on the top. Give me an Oculus version of that and a VR version of Tempest, and and I'm I'd be set. That'd be the way to do it. <laughs> so you'd be buying? It, are you already a VR guy? I am already a VR guy. Yeah, I love, I love, uh, um, I love my uh, Oculus Quest. I'm waiting till I get some more time to pick up that Marvel uh, Oculus uh, Rift game that now you can play with the Quest via the the cable link because that's that's one of the whole reasons I picked up the Quest as opposed to uh, the Go, which has now become my workout um, my workout machine. So I've got <laughs> maybe I've got too much time on my hands, but already, but. Um, I've got a spin bike that I use with the Oculus go so that as I'm riding, I'm looking at things other than the wall in front of my, 
um, oh, from okay. like, and there's a there's a company called VR Fit that has made a game that that senses motion on the pedals, and has a bunch of games that take advantage of that. You know, one of the things is just riding on a on um, a street in Google. Uh, street view and it just keeps constantly changing the view in vr so that you feel like you're going down a street and another city do you but feel like i've also got this stuff it's on your Go head and, and like sweaty and like is it it does it get gross because i don't have a vr it does, headset it, it does get gross and that's why <laughs> that's the other reason i don't use the oculus quest for, <laughs> for that because i don't if i'm gonna have one that's like all right this is the 150 dollar oculus go i don't mind it getting uh, I don't mind it getting gross and I just let it, you know, it dries out between each use and I've got extra straps so I can throw one of them in the washing machine while the other one is on the unit. But, um, but they've got another game in there that is a tank based game and it's almost like, you know, kind of going back to the arcades, it's almost like battle zone, oh, but it's game. fully rendered battle zone and they've got, you know, control that sits on your, your handlebars that shoots. Uh, so you basically just, right around you you tilt your head left and right to turn your tank you hit the button to shoot you can look around if you keep your head up straight you can kind of look around and see where the other tanks are and it is i can get on that on the bike and forget what i'm doing for 45 minutes to an hour and not realize that i've been biking that long so do you pedal forward to go forward and backwards to go backwards just forward so um just pedal forward to go forward and the faster you pedal the faster your tank goes so if something's shooting at you you can kind of pour on the the speed the only thing it doesn't do is adjust the tension if you're going uphill which obviously makes sense it's just a little clip onto the pedal um the pedal deal but it would be great if there was a way for it to say oh you want to go this way well you're going uphill so i'm going to increase the tension a few a few notches as you go uphill (laughs) That would oh my god, Brian! We just solved it. We absolutely uh, pedal. Okay, so you hook up uh, your Tempest VR to your bike, and uh-huh. you pedal oh, forward yeah. to go one way around and backwards the other way, and then you shoot with your fingers. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Oh my god, I, I expect that I'm going to get so much exercise with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how I'm just curious, how much is that VR thing for your for your bike? Because that sounds awesome, like, and I hate riding my is- bike. It is great, and it is it has totally changed the way I ride. Um, it's only eighty bucks, so I mean, you pick what? up the yeah, so you pick up the the uh, Oculus Go for one hundred and fifty, pick up the VR Fit for eighty, and you are off to the races. There is a, I think there's like a four dollar a month or five dollar a month um, uh, thing with the with the software, but totally worth it. And that's just one of like ten games that are built into this thing. It's my favorite of the ten, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's a blast, and it's totally changed the the amount that I get on the bike and and get exercise. That's awesome. Well, Brian, yeah. thank you so much for coming on 143 Pixels. Uh, every episode, I ask my guests to close out the show by saying our motto, which is that the resolution doesn't matter. Oh, so true. The resolution doesn't matter. The theme song for 143 Pixels is Through a Cardboard World by Tony Lays. You can find more of their music at tonylays.bandcamp.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can find it at pixels143. And if you want to follow me, I'm at runjumpstomp. This show is part of the Giant Size Team Up Network. For more information, head on over to gstu.net.
you know, if there's a particular episode of 143 Pixels that speaks to you, you know, a game that you have played or a game that you started playing after listening to an episode of 143 Pixels, and you want to share your story with that game, then do me a favor and send an email to 143pixels at gmail.com. That's 143pixels at gmail.com. Tell me your story and I'll share it on a mailbag episode of 143pixels.